Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valleys. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy in all my days. Yes, I will. What a song to sing on a day like today when many of our hearts are heavy. And I know for me, I could only sing that song with open hands because it takes all of who I am, all my heart and all my soul and all my strength, all my mind. We live in a crazy time and in a crazy world and I know all of us out there have had this range of emotions this week, particularly when we reflect upon what happened in our nation's capital this past Wednesday. We are so deeply divided and we have so deeply drifted off course. And honestly, my heart um, aches most for followers of Jesus. For those of you who are on this journey with Jesus, we have a lot of work to do on our own hearts. And that's what the series that we're in right now is all about. This week, we've been angry, we've been sad, we've been discouraged, we've been conflicted, we have felt vindictive. All of these things that have come through our hearts, and we don't know what to do with it. We feel lost and confused and broken. What I do know is this, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, your actions matter. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, your words matter. Your words matter more than you know. The Bible says what comes out of our mouth, what we speak, originates in our heart. Our heart is deceitful and it is wicked. And we can't even know it. And we look around and this is what is wrong with the world. And it's got to start in our heart. Churches, we must be places of hope and healing. We must be places and voices of peace and justice in the world. We must stand up for those who can't defend themselves. And it is my prayer that we are, that at Hope Church, and that it starts in our hearts. Right? Are you with me? I uh, had this um, thing pop up on my Facebook page the other day, uh, and you may have seen this. It said something like this. I'd like to cancel my subscription to 2021. I've experienced the free seven-day trial, and I'm not interested. And at first I chuckled when I saw that. Isn't that the truth, right? But then I became a little bit more sober because honestly, that's the whole reason why we're doing this series, Rebuilding Your Broken World. 
It's because I don't want you to just survive. I want you to thrive in this time. Let's not just survive. Let's thrive. And before I get into my message today, I just felt like I wanted to read you a psalm. And when I heard this psalm growing up, I had a different mental picture of what I'm going to explain to you today. It's Psalm chapter 42, and it talks about the deer panting after uh, Jesus. And I remember seeing like paintings or pictures on someone's wall with a deer in a beautiful meadow with a nice flowing stream. And everything was calm and happy. But let me paint a different picture of what that might be for you. Because you see, maybe, just maybe, this deer is on the last piece of its life. All the other streams that he's been to were dried up. He can't find water. He's dying inside. He's lost. And he is panting, searching for refreshment and nourishment for soul and body. And Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When, I, when can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I only have tears for food. While my enemies continually taught me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking when I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading the great possession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. So why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to the God who gives me life. Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, opposed by my enemies? They break, they, their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'll put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. This is a time for us to do some heart work. And that's what I'm excited for as we jump in today. We're going to work on our hearts. All of those feelings, all of those emotions, legitimate concerns, all of those things, we are going to take those and we're going to say, you know where it's got to start the change? Where it's got to start? In me. And in my heart. So let's jump in. We're in a series called Rebuilding Your Broken World, and I'm going to do a really quick recap. We said that the main goal in this series is rebuilding our lives so that they're lived on mission and on purpose. And what is that mission? What is that purpose that God has called us to? Well, we've got a couple of key um, scripture passages that we're looking at it. He says, here's your mission. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we see that we have this mission from God to love him and to love people. We also looked at another verse in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, that we're going to be referring to this passage throughout the entire series. It says this, brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies a living sacrifice because of what he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you, and that's a key word, into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The Bible says God has a very good thing in store for you. His will for you is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. But where's it got to start? It's got to start in our hearts. He wants to transform us. And we said that transform means metamorphosis. It means evolving. It means changing. It means becoming. And so we're going to change and transform our hearts, hopefully. And we want to change and transform our minds as well. And so we are going to jump in to today's lesson. And I'm going to warn you, I'm going to go quick. There's a lot here. A lot of it is stuff that you may already know, but we need the reminders as we do the heart work, as we start in this new year. And as we have drifted maybe away from what it used to be for us, we want to come back and center our hearts. So I think we have to start with a common definition because we're going to talk about loving God today. What does loving God mean? Well, I like when the Bible, which is going to be our guide and our source and our rock, right? It always is when it's super clear. Now, a lot of the Bible is gray, but there are some black and whites there as well. And this one is pretty black and white. What does the Bible say loving God means? Well, we're going to look at this passage, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. It says, loving God means keeping his commandments. Loving God equals keeping his commandments. Let's take the words of Jesus himself, John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. If, a little farther down, he says, all those who love me, will do what I say. So, what is loving God? Loving God is obeying Him. It's doing what He says. It's following what He teaches. That's how we love God. Now, we don't like that word, obey. This is a very interesting word, particularly for parents and for kids, right? We kind of maybe have some different ideas about what obedience is. Uh, I have two teenagers, and apparently, I'm ruining their life. Uh, parents of teenagers, are you with me? Right now, I am in a stage of life where I am told on a regular basis that I am ruining everything. Uh, hey, would you take out the garbage for me? Uh, why? Why do we have to take out the garbage? Why does it have to go now? Um, hey, can you uh, possibly unload the dishwasher? for us. Load, unload the dishwasher. Oh my goodness. How is that ever going to make us better people in society? Come on. Be realistic. You're crazy. Are you guys off your rocker? Yeah. I mean, uh, we're just trying to keep a house. 
you know? It's a pretty simple thing. But we have this idea of obedience. And yes, there is such a, good, uh, such a thing as good parenting and bad parenting. We all know that. I hope, parents, that you are not ordering your children around because you want power and control in your life. No, that would be bad parenting. We would agree on that. But good parenting is being able to know what is best in the long run for their children. Why do we even have any kind of a semblance of knowledge about this? Well, it's because we've lived a little bit longer. We've gained, hopefully, uh, some experience through life that is going to help guide our kids to be decent and contributing members to our society. People who love others and love God well, right? We're, we have to have some kind of um, uh, instruction for them in order for them to get to that point. So, teenagers, children, the best way to love your mom and dad is to obey them. It's to honor them. Well, back to our, uh, our point here. I was reminded this week of a parable that Jesus taught. Uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 7. And we've been using this imagery of, of rebuilding your broken world, of this storm that comes through. And now it has smashed the house and maybe the wind has taken off the, uh, the roof and the, and the floodwaters have come and wrecked the house. And now, the, now everything is down to the studs and stuff is strewn about and we're kind of collecting all these pieces to rebuild what was once there. And there's this similar imagery that Jesus uses in a parable he told in Matthew 7. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. There you go. Obedience, loving God. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. It won't collapse. Uh, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on the sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Jesus is saying, you have to build your life on something solid. And what I am telling you, the instructions and the, uh, the rules that I am setting forth to follow in life are going to help keep your life on solid rock. So that's where we're starting. Loving God is obeying him. So from here, we want to quickly go through what does that mean then? How do I get those practical handles into my life? What can I do to best love and serve God? Well, Sarah and I love home improvement shows. We've been watching them for many years. Uh, th this goes way back to the early days of our marriage and maybe even before. Uh, do you remember the show Trading Spaces? Kind of a really kooky show. Uh, but we were watching that when that first came out. I remember that. Of course, you have shows like This Old House, right? Uh, I love that show even to this day. Um, and so we also have kind of an invested interest because we, we um, have been... Uh, uh, we've done a lot of construction in our life and in some ways we've definitely been a part of several flips. Uh, we paint uh, houses. Um, so we have some experience in what it takes 
to kind of rebuild and refurbish. And there have been times where we've walked into a place and we've kind of looked at each other and said, my goodness, what has gone on here? Where do we even begin? I mean, it stinks to high heaven. You look at the carpet and it's soaked in dog urine and whatever other nastiness is all over. It looks like the carpets have been replaced in 30-something years. I mean, you look at the walls, and it's like a murder scene has taken place. Where do you even start? Well, when you start on a rebuild or a refurbish, there's a few things, I think, places you need to start. And I'll say this. First, you need to have a plan, right? That's pretty self-explanatory. Have a plan, and not only have a plan, write it down. You need a strategy, not just good intentions here. We all have good intentions. There is this conservative uh, estimate about New Year's resolutions. Now, I love New Year's resolutions. It's a great time to start something new, and I have great intentions. But there is this statistic that says 80% of New Year's re resolutions never even come to fruition. Why is that? It's not because you don't want to do it. It's because you have a poor strategy or maybe no strategy at all to do that. We must have a strategy. James Clear says in his book, Atomic Success, goals don't determine success, but systems determine success. You don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the levels of your systems. And so if you have a goal, you have to have a system for achieving that goal. Number two, you have to make sure you have the right tools. And that's kind of what today's message is about. We want to give you some tools to start this, this rehab, this rebuild. I have been there way too often where uh, I have had the wrong tool for the job. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm there and I've got my handsaw and I'm going to town over on this piece of wood and 20 minutes later, I'm still trying to cut through it and I'm sweating up a storm, expending all this energy. And then when I finally get through, you know, the cut is like this. What if I had the right tool? And if I had that chop saw, it'd be like zing and it'd be done in two seconds and it would be straight. It makes a difference to have the right tools. We want to arm you. We want to give you some tools today. So you need to have a plan. You need to write it down. You need to have the right tools. And number three, very important, you know this, you need to expect costs and setbacks. Expect there to be costs and setbacks along the way. Just know that going in. Again, it reminds me of a story, a parable that Jesus told, uh, Luke chapter 14, and he's talking about um, following him and what the cost means when you're following him and his ways. And he says, don't begin, don't begin following me until you count the cost. For who would begin construction on a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to even comp complete it, to finish it? Otherwise, you might only complete the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. Jesus himself says you need a plan, you need a strategy, and you need to count the costs and expect the setbacks along the way. This will not be easy. This is going to require some perseverance and some hard work. It's hard work to do heart work work. 
And I would say, especially because it's heart work, because it's spiritual, we're going to run into some setbacks that will significantly affect us if we're not ready for them. So, let's jump right in. And I'm going to go quick, like I said. Today, I want to give you four practical spiritual habits. Nothing earth-shattering. And there are just four. There may be a whole lot of others. You could let me know what others there may be or some things that you've put into your life. But I'm looking at, in particular, four practical spiritual habits. And yes, I'm using this word, habits. I like this word. I know some people think about their time with God or their spiritual life as, as quiet time or devotions or whatever that might be. And that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But for me, there's something different and there's something more tangible and a little bit more um, uh, uh, powerful about this word habits. It's going to require something of me to establish these habits. Stephen Covey says in his book, he says, um, we become what we repeatedly do. We become what we repeatedly do. It's important to establish these spiritual habits. Uh, a while back, I read this book called The Power of Habit. and talks about how important that is to establish those in our lives and what it takes to create a habit. So again, if that's helpful for you or interesting to you, you can check that book out. It's called The Power of Habit. So here we go. Write this down. Point number one, reading scripture. Reading the Bible. The first spiritual habit we need to consider is reading Scripture. And you say, yeah, 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 I get that. That's fine. But why is it so important? Why is it so important? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's a couple reasons why I believe it's important. Number one, we find this answer in Psalm 119, which is a great passage, by the way, when it talks about God's Word. Psalm 119.11 says this, I will hide God's word in my heart so I won't sin against him. Now that's a verse I remember, maybe one of the very first verses I ever learned as a little kid. I will hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That was the words we used in those days. But you know what? If we want to avoid more and more brokenness and more and more bad decisions and avoid temptations in our life. We have to get God's word into our hearts. It's got to go down and it's got to go deep so that when we are in those situations, I believe God will bring those things to memory. He will bring those things into recall and say, you know what? I know this is wrong. I'm going to avoid it. I need to stay away. So yeah, that's why I think it's important because it's going to keep us from sin. Number two, why else is it important? Hebrews 4, verse 12. Check out this verse. For the word of God is alive and powerful. That's a great image. It's not just words. There's something living and active about them, right? It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between your soul and your spirit, between joint and marrow. And then this next part is the part I want to highlight. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I like how the King James Version says, it says it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I said earlier, our heart is deceitful above all things 
and it's wicked more than we know. And the Bible helps illuminate that, particularly in days like these that we're living in. We can't trust our hearts. And so we need to feed it truth and wisdom and let God's word and God himself discern within our hearts. Let the Holy Spirit do that work. Number three, why is reading scripture so important? Why is that habit critical for getting back on track? Well, we're going to go back to Psalm 119 and verse 105 says this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Again, in the days we live in, don't you feel like you need a little light shed on the subject? Don't you think you need some light to see even where you're going and what your next step is? Because everything feels so dark and so confusing. The Bible is a lamp for your feet. It's going to light up your path. Make sure we're reading scripture. Number two, second spiritual habit I want to encourage you for is prayer. Prayer. Now we know that verse that says, pray without ceasing. Kind of a scary verse, maybe a little bit of a weird verse. I think sometimes we have this image that we walk around with our hands together and we, you know, we chant and um and and we're praying all, that's not, you guys know, that's not what that verse is saying. Instead, it's saying, always be in a spirit of prayer. No matter where you are, no matter what situation you find yourself in, we can be in a spirit of prayer. We can offer a prayer to our God, our friend. It's like he's sitting right next to us as we're driving along in the car, and he's sitting next to us, and we're having a conversation. Which brings me to the second point about prayer, that prayer is a conversation, It's not just us talking to God, but it also requires us to listen to God. It's a two-way street, which leads me also to the next thing. And that's what I would say is our world, we, our culture, we have lost what it means to be quiet and to be still. Prayer brings that into our life. And you know what the Bible says about God's voice? Oftentimes, it's soft and small. And if we are not quiet enough in our own hearts and our own spirits, it's very likely we'll miss God's voice because it's still and small. But when we establish a habit of prayer, that we're able to talk to God and listen to God, we can hear his voice. The third spiritual habit that you need to integrate into your life today is gathering in Christian community. Gathering in Christian community. People provide nourishment to us. This is a passion of mine. I could speak forever on this, and I will in the days to come, but we need people in our lives. In fact, I'm convinced, and I've said this before, that we'll never be all that we can be spiritually if we are not doing life with other people. We need to be doing life with other people. We need to have people around us that provide nourishment for our souls, that provide accountability to us. I heard someone say recently, people in our lives help provide preventative maintenance. Man, I like that image. 
You know, changing the oil in your car doesn't seem like a big deal. Oh, I could squeeze another 5,000 miles out of this oil change. You know, and if you begin to not do that preventative maintenance, what, it, what ends up happening? Your engine is going to end up seizing up and you're going to lose that and it's going to be a whole lot bigger deal down the road. But people in our lives help provide preventative maintenance. They help keep us on track when we veer off course. They're going to provide words of encouragement to us when we need it. Finally, the fourth spiritual habit I want to encourage for you is physical and mental exercise. Physical and mental exercise. And you say, Tom, how is that a spiritual habit? Well, I believe it's easy to make a case. I believe the Bible says in many areas how important it is to take care of ourselves. Paul, for one, he says, glorify God in your bodies. Take care of what he has given to you. Of course, we also know the verse that says, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Take care of your body. Get the kind of rest you need. Get the kind of exercise you need. But not only take care of your body, take care of your mind. Make sure you're exercising your minds. Are you reading? Are you listening to podcasts? Are you journaling if that's your thing? Listen, we need, it's a muscle. We need to work it. We need to expand it. And if you aren't reading, if you're not getting knowledge into yourself, and if you're not reading people that don't look like you or don't act like you or don't think like you, you're missing out. You need to be doing that because I believe that stretches us, that helps us form, again, with the Bible as our constant guide and navigation system, that helps enforce why we believe what we believe. Stretch yourself. Make sure you're reading. Make sure you're able to express your thoughts to God in journaling. Mental and physical exercise is critical. I've included a spiritual habits primer in the link of wherever, depends on where you're watching. It's also going to be on our website. And probably this is going to be something that we add to over the next several weeks. It's not fancy, but it is something to help you get started establishing these spiritual habits in your life. And as we close, I would be remiss not to take a few minutes to talk about what I said earlier, that there are going to be costs and setbacks. And I think, especially when we're doing heart work, that we need to be aware that there are going to be enemies to these spiritual habits in our life. And yes, I say enemy. We, as, as uh, Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness. We aren't wrestling against flesh and blood. We have an enemy that is very real and it's very spiritual and he's going to do anything he can to derail you from establishing spiritual habits and practices in your life. He is going to destroy you by discouraging you. He is going to try to destroy you by deceiving you. The enemy, his name is deceiver. His, his name means accuser. And we need to be on the lookout, as the Bible says, 
making sure that we are aware of the, of the things that could come up and to block us from pursuing that. So here's the first thing I would say. One enemy of this discouragement and deceit. Discouragement and deceit. What might this look like? Well, real quick, maybe, maybe you're not getting results fast enough for yourself. Uh, maybe you get to believe the lie that you're no good. Um, maybe you start to begin that the small decisions uh, you, know, you make don't really matter. Listen, all of those things, the devil's trying to trip you up. He's trying to deceive you. He's trying to deceive you even with things that sound spiritual, but really aren't. He's there to discourage and to deceive you. Number two, the things that could derail us. An enemy of good personal habit is too tired and too busy. Too tired and too busy. We have a danger of overfilling our lives. Overfilling so much that all of a sudden things just explode. I don't want you to get to that point. Don't overfill. Our culture, like I said, does not understand the practice of quiet and stillness. And we need to reclaim that in our lives. And here's what I would say, third and final, and maybe most importantly, when we go into this, subtraction is our friend. Subtraction is better than addition. Stop adding things, even if they're good things. Start subtracting things out, even the good stuff, so that you can get to the better stuff. Which leads me to the third thing. What's something that can distract you? Good opportunities. Good things. We've all heard that line, good is the enemy of great. And there's some real wisdom and truth to that. There are going to be good things that can take our attention and our time and our energy. But is it the best thing? Is it the greatest thing that we should be pursuing? Fourth, fear. The enemy is going to try to instill fear in you. It could be the fear of failure, which means maybe you'll never even start at all because you're afraid you're not going to be able to keep up with it. It could be the failure of criticism. Hey, listen, remember, what we're going to do is counter-cultural. Yeah, people might criticize you. They might think you're a little weird. I actually think they respect that, though, those haters. I think under the surface, they wish that they had the discipline and the habits that you did. Stay with it and don't let fear of what people might say derail you. And finally, money. If we are not careful, money and wealth and the accumulation of things are going to be the biggest hindrance to our spiritual walk. Jesus says it himself in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate the one and love the other, or else he's going to despise the one and be devoted to the other. You cannot serve God in money. Beware, there are costs and setbacks. So like I said earlier, are you feeling sad and distressed and lonely and angry and confused, conflicted, vindictive, indecisive, unspiritual, or even just numb? If you are, begin today to bring habits into your life. Ask God to help you. Ask someone you trust to help you. Because if you're feeling all these things, I know for me, that's a time when I know I need to do heart work. It was interesting seeing some posts from some 
uh, friends, Jesus followers after the events of this week. And I saw so many just go right to scripture and it made my heart glad. Because we are going to find our strength and our hope in the one who really is for us and not against us. Don't be like the deer. Nourish your soul each and every day. And we're going to be here to help you along the way. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your wisdom. I pray, God, that you would give us the grace to establish these habits in our life. That they would become so a part of us. God, that we could stay connected to you and live lives on mission and on purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.